0: This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host of Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast, for subscribing, for getting involved. We're going to talk about in this show, The Burning of Brother Henry. Get ready. It's a story of one of the martyrs of the Reformation. My friend Pastor Evan Gagline joins me to talk about suffering for Christ and also the estate of the family, how it helps us understand what's going on in the world. Here's Cross Defense. Hey! Happy New Year. All right. Welcome back to Cross Defense. God be praised. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuth, your host uh, here every week on Cross Defense, where we uh, attempt to ignite the imagination with theology, fighting back against the devil's attempts to make theology boring, which seems like that is not a battle the devil would be willing to fight since it's so difficult. But not only has the devil taken up the fight, but as in a lot of cases won the battle, we've been convinced that theology is is whatever is not good is not true is not beautiful we we want to push back against that uh here on cross defense which we're going to do for the next hour I'm going to tell the story Oh, I've been reading about I've been reading about the burning of brother Henry <laughs> Carry says to me Brian do you uh, do you have to tell us these stories at dinner time so if you're eating dinner right now uh eat quick. Uh, get it done, because apparently this is not a good dinner time story. But the burning of Brother Henry, who martyred in 1524 in Germany. We'll talk about that. And then Pastor Evan Gagline from Faith Luther Church in Rogue River, Oregon, is going to come on uh, for the last half of the show to talk about who knows what. I think he, said, he sent me a note he wants to talk about the estate of the family. So he's got a little baby. He's an expert now, so we'll hear about that. Uh, but first, the burning of Brother Henry. I want to start out by putting before you this text Hebrews chapter 11 in the 30s verses 33 to 38 and remember you want to remember that Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes it's called the great hall of faith it has this list of all of these um all the Christians of the Old Testament who had faith in Christ and it's putting them before us as the the heroes of the faith, we've talked a lot about heroes. I think it's an important theme for us to to continue to meditate on that the Christian needs heroes, and and we have those heroes and the martyrs and the saints, the apostles and prophets, those who have gone before us and really suffered all uh, for the sake of of knowing Christ. And and so here it's, it's the the writer of Hebrews, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, says. That through faith, we don't have enough time to talk of all those who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong in weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign arm- armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And you say, okay, put me on that list. Put put me on the list of people who stopped the mouths of lions, who became mighty in war, who reigned and all that. Put me on that list. But look, it goes on. And I think in a in a in an amazing sort of way it goes on even higher so even more than that even there's there's more miracles even than receiving the dead back it says this some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life others suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in half they were killed with the sword they walked about in skins, sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandered about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now, I'm not sure if you want to be, it's nice to be on the first part of that list, but being on the second part, but this is what it is to be a Christian. To 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 be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And one of those who was counted worthy was Henry. We don't even know his last name. He's from Zupthen. He was born in 1488. He was a he was probably a, a, some sort of priest, but he went to Wittenberg to study and he wrote his thesis. This is kind of cool. He wrote his thesis uh, I think for Philip Melanchthon on the Doctrine of Justification. He went back and was a preacher in Antwerp, but was exiled and was on his way back to study some more in Wittenberg when the people in Bremen, northern Germany, said, hey, why don't you be our preacher? So he stopped and he started preaching there in Britain and brought the Reformation doctrine to Brennan. He preached for two years, Bremen. Uh, he preached there for two years, and the people absolutely loved him. They loved his preaching and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the Reformation, the doctrine of law and gospel the the lutheran doctrine spread there to that catholic region well and it got a hold of all the people the farmers and the peasants but also the rulers and and even some of the uh some of the monks and nuns were converted in fact the, they they were opposing him they so they were sending in like uh monks to listen to his preaching and disrupt the preaching and disrupt the services and it said that they would go to in order to disrupt him but they would be converted and they would become lutheran also so this the Reformation broke out there, and Brennan. So the people in Dithmarchen, which is kind of let me think, it's up to the north and to the and to the east. They said, "Hey, could you come over here and preach as well?" This is again the it says December of fifteen twenty four, and and he says, "Okay, I'll come for a little while, for a couple of months. I'll come and preach there in Meldorf, is the town where he went. But the people didn't want him to leave. But he thought, oh, I should go there, and I can be helpful for a couple of months, and I'll come back and." And keep serving the people in Brendan. So he went. He went up there, and and the um, the 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 city, not necessarily the citizens, but like the the priests and the and the Catholic uh, monks heard that he was coming up to preach, and they they said, we can't let it happen. We gotta silence this guy. We can't we can't let him preach. There was one priest who was running all over the place from town council to town council to make sure that that Henry didn't get permission to preach uh... even though he didn't need the permission because of the local custom but they they went and wrote a letter that said hey uh, st- he's t- to have a, st- a gag order he's not supposed to preach because they were convinced that if he started preaching then the reformation would also come there but anyway it doesn't work and he preaches in this k- church in Meldorf they say preach some more to us and so he preaches he preaches sunday morning he preaches sunday night monday tuesday he's preaching uh... Er- they say, now stay here for and preach to us twice a day they want him to preach and so the Reformation begins, the Lutheran doctrine begins to break out there in Brennan as well. And so the, the, the monks said, we've got to do something to silence it. So they gather the people together. They gathered, And they said that there's a, they gather a mob of 500 people. They get them all drunk. And they go, this is six days after Henry had been there, they go and they attack the house at night. And they grab Henry, he's just naked in his nightshirt. They pull, drag him out of bed. They tie him behind a horse, and they drag him from Meldorf to Haida through the middle of the night. Uh, it, it basically, he's naked in the cold. It's in December in northern Germany, and he's barefoot. Never There's one. There's part of the story that he asks if, if he could ride the horse or if they could provide him shoes because he's walking six miles in the ice-covered dirt road. His feet are just bloody and beat up, and they said, what, are you supposed to have a stable for heretics now? And they beat him down. and he, they t- again, they tie him to the tail of this horse, and they're dragging him through the night until they get to haida and then in haida germany the the morning comes together, and they have this big mob that's there, and they drag him out they, apparently they had him in this kind of base' it was a cellar a prison sort of thing, and they drag him out in the middle he's being dragged out and and Luther's telling the story it's really quite wonderful he's being dragged and and some of the people see what's going on, and they say what How, what is happening here? why are we?" why are we killing someone in the town square and some of the some of the moms of the town are there weeping and henry this is amazing to me henry says turns to the women and says don't don't weep for me so just exactly what jesus said and and this by the way as i've been looking at the stories of the martyrs the crucifixion of jesus tells us just exactly how it's supposed to go so you remember when when Jesus was on the cross, one of the seven last words of Jesus is that he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen, the first martyr, he says the same thing. Father, don't hold this sin against them. And Henry's going to say the same thing. We'll come to that. So they come and they, they, they have this kind of mock trial in the middle of the town, and they had instructions. The priests, as they were doing this, said to make sure, the thing that we have to make sure of is that he doesn't start preaching. We can't get into an argument with him. Because if we start, if we let him talk, if we let him preach, if we let him present his case, then the people of the town will be converted. They'll believe it because he has such strong scriptural arguments. So We can't let him open his mouth. So they go and they have this mock trial. They say, you you are accused of of, of prohibiting the, the praise of Mary and the worship of the church. He says, I, I'm, I'm doing no such thing. But they slap him in the mouth. They won't let him. And he's determined right then to be guilty of this. And so they start beating him, stabbing him with swords. The people are still drunk. They're egging him on. The, the bishop is there saying, you, you're doing God's work to the mob that's hitting him with pikes. And they try to start a fire to burn him. The fire won't light. And so the whole time they're just beating him down, beating him down, uh, stabbing him with pikes and maces and all this sort of stuff, just beating him to a pulp but he won't die and the fire won't start. Now again just to make note it's really uh, a typical thing to hear in the martyr stories these very things that the fi- I think it, the same thing happened at the when it was time to burn Polycarp the 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 fire wouldn't start until at last it wouldn't burn him and so they stabbed him and his blood even extinguished the fire and this happened I believe with Perpetua as well so it's a common it's a theme in some of the, they want to start the fire to to burn uh, the Christians, but the fire simply won't start. So they they accuse him more, and uh, and and he, when it comes down to it, they they bring a uh, a priest to Henry who says, "Hey, do you do you have sins that you want to confess? I can absolve you before you die, kind of last rites kind of thing." And Henry says to him, "Have I sinned against you, brother?" And he says, "No, no, you haven't sinned against me at all." And he says, "Well, what do you have? What do you have to forgive?" He's not worried about that forgiveness. He knows he has the forgiveness of Jesus. As they continue to beat him, he says, he says Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then, uh, and then they tie him to a ladder. Apparently they were going to use this wooden ladder to, to lower Henry onto the fire, once the, or to put him into the fire once it, it got um, burning. And they lifted him up uh, off the ground on this ladder. And, uh, and Henry starts to confess the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And the people, did, again, they just did not want him to talk. So one of the guys takes a rope and ties it around his neck and, and starts to strangle him to the, to the ladder, and blood's coming out of his mouth and his nose so that he can't, he can't confess his faith. And, they have, they're holding the ladder up with a halberd uh, like a, one of those long pikes with a hook on it it slips off and it cuts through henry but he's still alive it's amazing and they still can't get the fire lit so so finally at last they um they start to pound henry with a mace and they crush him and he, they kill him by crushing his chest with a mace and and then they lay him on the with the ladder over the coals and they they roast him to death Henry burned at last, the, the martyr who confessed the faith. Now, here's how Luther describes the, the last little bit of, of Henry's death. It's really quite, quite something. He condemned Brother Henry to the fire, pronouncing sentence with the words, This scoundrel has preached against the mother of God and against the Christian faith. Wherefore, on behalf of my gracious Lord, the Bishop of Bremen, I condemn him to the fire. And Brother Henry replied, I have not done this. Nevertheless, thy will be done, O Lord. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Thy name alone is holy, O heavenly Father. And as the beating condemns, uh, so so does uh, Henry's life. It says uh, that that at last they, uh, they beat him to death so that he could speak no more. Henry, then, is our brother. It's good to remember when we think about these martyrs that we'll meet them in the resurrection. Now, that's the story, but I want to ask you guys, what do we make of this? I mean, here we are. This is 500 years later. We're sitting here in 2008, 2019. The year of our Lord, 2019. And we want to remember that there was a there's always been gaps of martyrdoms in the church. In fact, there was about a thousand years in church history where there were no martyrs at all from the Edict of Milan in 313 until the restart of the martyrdoms in the 4th, 14th or 15th century uh, during the time of the Reformation and pre-Reformation so that there was a gap in martyrdoms and we're and we at least in the united states are living in another gap of martyrdom we don't we don't have to uh we don't see the martyrs going before us and dying for their faith we don't see people being burned for their confession of christ and so forth so the question is what good is it for us to consider it's amazing for me to read luther's account of this burning of brother henry because one of the things he says is that in henry we see the true pattern of the christian life brought back In other words, the true Christian life is not the life of great success. It's not the life of great riches. It's not your best life now, as if becoming a Christian means we don't have any trouble. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Uh, Jesus says that the world hated me first before it hated you. This is an amazing sort of thing. That To be a Christian is to be set against the world. It's to belong to another kingdom to belong to another king. So when we see the martyrs, in fact, we recognize that we're not seeing the Christian exceptions, but in f- we're seeing something like what's normal, and our peaceful lives are the exceptions. The other thing is that, is that hearing, at least for me, and I don't know, you guys can let me know if this is the case. For me, hearing the stories of the martyrs gives me courage. All of the martyrs were afraid, and they were afraid that they weren't going to be able to, to stand up and confess their faith all the way to the end. They were worried about that, just like you and me are worried about it. I mean, you're, you're sitting there thinking, and I'm sitting here thinking, if this was me, if I was Henry, if I was in Henry's place, and they were dragging me through the night, and if they were beating me with, with maces and pikes, and if they were standing, tying me and choking me on a ladder to lower me into the fire, would I remain faithful? They, well, Henry was worried about it, too. But the Holy Spirit comes to give us courage to face these things. This is the promise that Jesus gives. So we don't worry about that. We, in fact, know that the Holy Spirit works these things. And perhaps the most important thing that the martyrs remind us is that the devil is always trying to fight against God's word and the preaching of God's word, but God's word prevails. Tertullian, the church father Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it's when the martyrs seal their preaching with their blood that, in fact, it's it stands confirmed so that, so that the church stands not only on the blood of Christ but on the words of the prophets and the apostles who were almost all martyred for their preaching. So, so we have this great confidence that, uh, that the Lord, in fact, destroys the devil precisely in the midst of the devil's attempt to destroy us. We say, take they our life, goods, fame, child and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. Or as St. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We belong to Jesus. So there's nothing that the devil do, can do to snatch us out of his hands. So I hope that, is, that story of your brother, Brother Henry, is an encouragement to you on the way. I'm Pastor Brian that You're listening to Cross Defense. Pastor Evan Gateline, when we come back from the break, stay tuned.
1: Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin.
0: You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. If you're interested in building a great career, the Missouri Army National Guard is interested in you. The Guard will pay you to train for a wide range of jobs, such as engineering, combat arms, logistics, transportation, and military police. The skills you'll learn are needed in the Guard and are in high demand in the civilian job market. Plus, you may be eligible for a $20,000 bonus and student loan repayment. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association and this station. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to the Cheery Cross Defense. Talking about the martyr you guys you guys got to ride into tape. Hey Pastor Wolfmuller, listen to your wife. Don't talk about these stories. Pastor Gagline, hey, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me here.
0: What do you think about all these martyr stories? What is man, do you tell martyr stories to Mandy at uh, dinner?
1: Yeah, we uh bedtime stories. Um it's uh it's quite an experience, but I, I I think what you said there at the end. I didn't mean to eavesdrop. I was listening a little bit, but Sorry. uh Sorry. Sorry. I, I,
0: I am stuffing my finger in my ears, trying not to hear, but accidentally
1: hears. Right. But um, I think you're right about the the stories of the martyrs uh, giving us confidence to confess the faith. And I, I think about this, I mean, it's, it's certainly a different experience, I think, living in America, uh, particularly in the year 2019, because, um, I mean, for the last, what, 200 years, this country has enjoyed great religious freedom. And persecution was really just not on the Americans' radar, whatsoever. You know, unless you know missionaries are flying to other countries. But for the for the Christian living in America, probably not thinking about persecution on a regular basis. Now, maybe within the last ten, fifteen years or so, uh, it's crossed the Christian's mind, and we think about um, the people who are in service uh, jobs where their conscience doesn't allow them to serve in certain capacities, like we think of the uh, homosexual weddings and things like this, that to to uh, conduct their business according to their conscience um, means that they might uh, go out of business or not be able to provide for their families. And this is probably the first time that the, the, the American Christian has had to think much about persecution. And I think this is a particularly... Um, dangerous time for the Christian, because it's the, it's the, it's the boiling frog analogy. I mean, um, here's an idea. I mean, I don't know how many years ago Columbine was, 20 years ago or something like that, and we heard about those uh, gunmen who walked into a high school, and in some cases they pointed a gun at, at a student and said, you know, do you believe in Jesus? And if, if the student answers yes, then they get a bullet. If they answer no, then then they don't and that was maybe a glimpse of what real persecution is but in a way that's almost I, dare i say if i can be if i can if i can be so obtuse to say something like this that's almost an easier persecution right because yeah i'll take a bullet i mean that's uh no question but when then you have this gradual um this gradual decay of our society that's now demanding me to Take a stand on moral principle, and if doing so means my children are going to starve, that's almost a more difficult persecution because of the boiling frog syndrome.
0: Yeah, there's uh, Luther says that the persecution came. How about this? The persecution came in three waves. So you had the first era of the church, which was the persecution of violence. That's the strong against the weakness of Christ. Mm. And then you have the second persecution, which is the persecution of heresy. So that was during the Aryan controversy and all the creedal stuff, and that's a persecution of the wise against the foolishness of Christ. Hmm. And then the, the third persecution that he thought that the church was in then was the persecution of indifference. We have everything we need. Life is easy, uh, but, so you don't want to give up anything for being church. And he says that's the persecution of the something against the nothing of the church. And um and and I think in some ways we live in a weird kind of conglomeration of all three, but this is the it's the main thing that it gets us now is that it's just it's not like it's true that we don't have to we don't have to be burned or roasted or crushed or whatever, but we it's this sort of uh, it's just, it, you know what it is? It's like Psalm two Psalm two, Psalm four? It's like Psalm two or four where King David prays, How long will they turn my glory into shame? So that the, the world persecutes the Christian by turning our glory, the thing that we should be most proud of, the thing that we should, that we should rejoice in the most, that we're baptized, that we belong to Jesus, that we're Christian. And it turns that glory into shame and says, you should be ashamed of that. You shouldn't admit it. You should try to keep it quiet. You, you know, press it down like this. And it's, so it's that, it's that subtle per- persecution, the, the persecution of discomfort, uh, that, that we face a lot of times now. Hmm?
1: Right, yeah, and 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 I think that sometimes this is used almost as a coercive measure to to you know make people feel bad for not going door to door evangelism or something like that. Like like uh, you know the martyrs were willing to be burned at the stake, and you won't even talk to your coworker over the cubicle wall. Um, but I, I think though that's um, not really what the point is. The point is, um, well, we should remember that that the word martyr comes from the idea of witness, so that we would be able to make a bold confession of Christ and the circumstances that are around us do not alter that confession of Christ. So whether I'm amongst friends in church and I'm confessing the creed um, or I'm amongst enemies with arrows I confess the same either way.
0: That's a that's a great point that, uh and I needed that because I've been we've been reading Luther's account of the burning of brother Henry and and Luther will key in on the right thing and that is the preaching it was the preaching that got henry in trouble it was the preaching that made the devil so mad that he had to kill henry it's the so that martyrdom is a is an attempt at coercive silence from the kingdom of the devil the devil wants to shut down the preaching so it wasn't like henry was he, he wasn't doing anything wrong except for preaching the gospel and the devil has to shut that down so that connection between the word and the death of the preacher is key there, and you and you bound it together with the simple word witness, because the word martyr, like you said, was just the word for being like, if you get called into a court case and you have to say what you saw, you were a martyr. That's just what the word meant, and the fact that it meant it means dying now is an indication of, of how how enraged the devil gets when the truth is told. He 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 has to use. The devil uses every means possible to try to silence the preaching of the truth.
1: Yeah, and we could uh, we could look at this in either the Ten Commandments too, so that this uh, fear of persecution comes up really at largely as a first commandment issue. That if, um, if 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 I am afraid, I mean Jesus says this in what Matthew ten: uh, Do not be afraid of those who would uh, kill the body, but be afraid of uh, he who can kill body and soul in hell. And that's of course himself, so that we ought not be afraid of those who would who would, you know, burn us at the stake or whatever because of our confession, because that is but a temporary thing. But what, what our Lord our Lord has for us is is eternal life. And so it's a first commandment issue to say, I am fearing in my enemy more than my my God um, in this confession that I have. And then that then points us to the second commandment that the The confession of the gospel, the confession of the good news of, of Jesus Christ and His saving death and resurrection for us, would be found on our lips. So that 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 that, that confessing the faith under persecution starts with the first commandment and flows to the second commandment.
0: That's fantastic. And and so when we are, when we have the fear of God, it takes away the fear of man or the fear of anything else. And that's what we call courage—to not be afraid of anything. But God, in His own judgment, what does God think of me That's the thing that shapes how I live, how I speak, how I act, et cetera, et cetera so now i'm free i'm free I'm not afraid of dying anymore he takes that's Hebrews 2. he takes away the fear of death or like saint paul is this fearlessness of paul he says it's for me to live as Christ to die as gains what what can you do now I want to know that, so that that if we have that kind of courage and that sort of fearlessness the, that fearlessness of faith, then we face the world very, very differently and in that way the martyr as the martyr stories encourage us we, we live different now so i got to tell you a story pastor gagline and then you got to tell me if i'm just the worst pastor ever it was this last summer yeah. yes yes yeah. <laughs> well okay but, uh, <laughs> but you got to tell me if i'm anyway. the worst pastor ever in in, in this particular instance because we don't have the air conditioning, you know, like all the uh, fancy churches have air conditioning, we just have a huge fan. So it gets kind of hot in church in um in the summer here at Hope Lutheran. And so uh so we it was after church one day uh and everyone's kind of sweating, ready to kind of melt out of church. And I said I I read this week the story of Romanus. Remember Romanus, my hero? It was Romanus who was just beaten to a pulp. He had his teeth knocked out because he was preaching the eternal generation of Christ right in front of the proconsul up there in Antioch, where the Christians are first called Christians. This is like, I think Romanus is like three oh four or something. Part of the Great Persecution under Diocletian or uh, somewhere in there, and and he's still confessing Christ. The, the prelate says, "Shut him up!" So they tear out his beard, cut up, tear out his eyelids. Sorry, I didn't give the warning. This is another not dinner time story. <laughs> And they cut open his cheeks with their swords, so he has holes in his cheeks. And he turns to the proconsul and he says, "I thank you, my lord." He called him out of respect for giving me more mouths to praise my God. <laughs> now I, I love the cheekiness of the martyrs because, like Henry and all these guys, are just kind of you. You, you think you can get me? You can't. It's this bold kind of fearlessness there, but I, I thank you for... Pre- okay, so anyway, after church I told the story of Romanus and I tell, and I tell, how amazed I am at this guy. And I said, I suppose if Romanus can endure having his beard torn out and his mouth cut open for his confessing of Christ, then we shouldn't complain about how hot it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a place for this kind of comparison. It, 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 I mean, um, sometimes we get so fixed on ourselves that we look at our own inconveniences, we look at our own problems and we think, boy, I'm just the most miserable soul in the world, uh, poor me, and uh, someone really needs to address uh, my problems, and to, to step back just a bit and to look at what the Church has endured, what what others go through even in our present age, and to, and to approach it with humility. I think uh, we ought not dwell on that, though, because when we dwell on comparing ourselves with others, that's always... It always ends poorly so that when we're looking at ourselves we're looking at others we're not looking at Christ and uh, so I think there's there's some value in that um, but I think that we ought to 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 be wise how much we do that I was thinking also uh, with this with this persecution in light of the first commandment and the second commandment that first that we would fear God more than we would fear any enemy or persecutor of the gospel and that then uh, puts the Lord's name on our lips the second commandment Uh, that then finds its rest in the third commandment, that those would hear that witness, would hear that proclamation, and that would, uh, in some cases, bestow faith to those who who do not have it. Um, And it would also um, encourage the saints, as you have been talking about. So we have this line of the hymn, For All the Saints, that uh, when the warfare is long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, then heart to praise. I afraid. love that. I mean, so, so that oh. it's, it's, it's these, it's it's the calling of the saints who are in the church triumphant that remind us that whatever toils we endure here in this world, here in this life, are nothing to be compared to the joys um, that exist in the presence of the Lamb who sits on the throne, and so. Though though we might have moments of trials and tribulations that are distressing, uh, we still rejoice in the midst of those trials.
0: That uh, this is the oh man, Evan, that's great. Uh, It it reminds me of so to put this in the right perspective. I mean, what you said there with the third commandment, with meeting together, with encouragement, it just reminds me. We were talking about we started talking about Hebrews eleven, which gives us the picture of all the saints that went before us. But then, it, then Hebrews twelve says that our eyes are not fixed on the saints. We there are heroes; it's true, but they are not our. We're not trying to reach the, where they got. We're trying to reach Christ. So, so here's the picture: it's like you're running a marathon. We, Andrew ran a cross country race this last uh, season, and so I got to see this. You, so you run forever. It's like uh, three miles for them. But imagine running a marathon. But then you come, the last lap, you come into the stadium and you run around the track one time and then you finish. And so you're running, you're running, you're running, and, and you just want to quit because it's so exhausting. But you hear the crowd cheering you on, and you come around the corner and you see the crowd, and there in the crowd are all the the heroes of the faith. I mean, there's there's Noah, and there's Abraham, and there's King David, and there's Saint Paul, and there's there's Peter, and there's Romanus over there, and there's Brother Henry, and they're cheering us on. But then we look at the finish line, and they're not there. They're in the crowd. They're not at the finish line. But at the finish line is Jesus, and he has his arms held out, and he's saying. You can do it. You can make it. Come on. He's the finish. He's the goal that we're after. We're not trying to live a life so that we end up like Romanus or like Henry. We're trying to live a life so that we end up with Christ, and that means that the main thing is to is to trust in His mercy, is to cling to His promises.
1: That's great. And I'll I'll keep pushing that further into Hebrews twelve. He says, uh, "You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have." forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly dis- the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. So this is a reminder, too, that uh, in, in, in our, in our uh, life of faith, we, ha- we contend with sin so that we uh, look at ourselves and we find our failures to, to keep the commandments. We, uh, we repent of those sins, and we, we battle against those uh, temptations and uh we should we should realize then that these struggles the Lord uses to discipline us, to, to, to that that, yeah. that these trials themselves would be um a tool of the Lord for his beloved children.
0: Yeah. The point of our life is not to have an easy life. That's not what we're at. we're not just after. And and the point of Christianity is not to have an easy life. Oh, man, what a perversion of the gospel that is. Your best life now kind of stuff? Uh. No. I mean, Jesus says in this life you're going to have trouble. We, we expect this sort of thing. but it's, it's, and, and the suffering in life, you know how often people use the suffering of life to say, to say oh, that's God doesn't love us? No. The Bible says the absolute opposite. When we see suffering in life, we remember that we're God's children. And he disciplines those that he loves. It it comes not as proof of God's absence, but proof of God's presence. This is what we expect, and when we expect things like this, it makes it a lot easier when we come. I mean, we shouldn't be like Peter says. You don't be surprised at the various trials that you suffer. We got we got thirty seconds on this, Pastor Gagline, to wrap it up, and then we're going to get to what you talked about on the other side of the break. But put a, put a bow on it for us.
1: Well, I, I just again, I'll recap what you just said from Peter, and he talks about that. You know, if we're if we're uh, Sitting in jail because we committed a crime, that's that's nothing to be honored. But if we're sitting in, in jail, let it be for doing good. <laughs> so that our our goodness, our love to the neighbor would, would be the only accusation the world would have against us. Ah.
0: Thank you. Pastor Gagline from Faith Lutheran Church of Rogue River, Oregon. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller from Hope Lutheran Church, and you are listening to Cross Defense. Thanks for listening. We're gonna to go to the quick break. We'll be back in just a couple seconds, talk about I think we're going to talk about the estate of the family. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union can't make it? Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus Will help. Wednesday afternoon at two on KFUO.
1: Listening to KFUO on your smartphone
0: is so easy to do. Smartphone assistant, play KFUO. Playing KFUO radio. You can also visit the place where you get your apps and download the KFUO app. You can also go to the KFUO homepage. Wow, the KFUO homepage is customized to fit your phone with an easy-to-find listening button. When you're on the webpage, you can browse for more information. You can listen to KFUO 24 hours a day at KFUO. Or don't forget about Facebook, Facebook.com slash KFUO radio. Now you're just acting like a Know it all. I think one of the most amazing. Th- I'm Pastor Brad Wolfmiller, by the way. One of the most amazing things is to worship with Christians in other places in the world. I've I've taken people to to Israel, to Germany, to Greece, to Turkey. We've done that, and it's just it's so fantastic and eye opening. We're going to do it again this summer. We're going to go and visit our missionaries in Spain. We're going to tour around Spain for eleven days, and while we're there, we're going to spend a weekend in Seville to see the work of the Lutheran Church being born. In Spain. If you're interested or you know someone that's interested, you can find all the information on the website wolfmuller.co forward slash Spain two thousand nineteen. It's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C O slash Spain two thousand nineteen. Hope you can join us. Hey, hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. Glad you're joining us. Uh, best way. By the way, there's a lot of more theology stuff, including Pastor Gagline and I. Uh, have a little podcast, the world's most famous Lutheran theological. Oh, wait, the world's second most famous Lutheran theological game show podcast, Table Talk Radio. Uh, all the all that kind of stuff you can find at uh, the website wolfmuller.co, dot L L E R dot C O audio there, radio there, table talk radio, more cross defense, some YouTube videos, articles. In fact, I've got the whole transcription. I've got the translation of Luther's letter, burning of Brother Henry, his whole letter of comfort. That's posted up there. You gotta just search martyrs or burning Henry or something like that. It'll come up, and all that kind of stuff is there. You can go check it out. That's the best way to contact me as well. There's a little contact button. So, Pastor Gagline, if you want to send me a note, you can go on there, send your complaints. And about I will. my hosting, uh, and, and there's trip on the, uh, there's information on the trip that we're taking to Spain this summer. We're going to go visit the missionaries in Seville and see Barcelona and Madrid and, and Gibraltar and all this great stuff in Spain. So, uh, we got to get three more people jumping into that trip by the end of the month to make it a go. So if you're interested in, in going on a missionary visit, see this and study the book of Romans and go see Spain, uh, then let me know. Uh, Pastor Gaglin, uh, how are things in, uh, Rogue River?
1: Uh, great, wonderful. Um, we continue to preach what? Christ and Him crucified and enjoy the beautiful mountains of southern Oregon. You should come out sometime.
0: I know I should. I, you have the video. I'm going after you because you made this video, What Do Lutherans Teach, sitting there at your desk there. And you, you like, make one YouTube video, and it has, like, 40,000 <laughs> views or something crazy. That's nuts. Yes, well, so I'm coming after it. So you, you got a yes, nice website there. People can find out more... If people want more information, they can visit the website there. What What do you got?
1: Yeah, faithrogriver dot org. Faithrogriver. Perfect, perfect.
0: And you uh, and you told me in a text you want to talk about the estate of the family. So uh, get after it. What do you got? Well,
1: I just you know we we oftentimes think about uh, our life and our society in these two categories. Some of the listeners who are familiar with some of the popular Lutheran theological Touch points would be like two kingdom theology, right we think of uh, the kingdom of the right hand, the left hand the church and the state and um and how the lord deals with us and that's a that's a very important topic but um Luther also talked about these three estates, and so you have uh the church and you also have the state, but what stands in the middle between these two is interesting to me and that is the estate of the family and um you know we're as a society we're struggling a lot with all kinds of social problems. Um, we are dealing with uh, you know poverty. We deal with um, um, you know uh, unemployment. There's all kinds of issues in our in our society, and um, looking at those issues, particularly through the lens of the estate of the family, is particularly interesting. And um, one of the key texts that we look at when we consider the family is um, Ephesians chapter five, and then going into six, and um, the first few lines of, 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 of this pericope is this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, that he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. And husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So beautiful! I mean, it's such a beautiful passage. We keep keep going, but as i was thinking about a lot of these issues, um, you know, we're we're seeing um, at this moment that unemployment is actually the lowest it's been for I don't know, four or five years, if not more. But one thing that is the highest it's been for 10, 20 years is the unemployment of able-bodied men. And that's, that's a staggering stat because what Ephesians 5 is calling husbands and men to do is to use themselves as a token of service and sacrifice first to their wives and then to their families. So what this is doing is reorienting ourselves to be uh, completely sacrificial. And I think what we're seeing that's very common and popular in our culture is that the, the main focus, the main idea we're thinking about is what best serves me, what, what, what will get to my individual happiness and in these things. And so when we completely pervert what my being is all about from serving my family to serving myself, then this has ripple effects through our entire society. I'll I'll take a breath and see what you think about that so far.
0: Oh, I think that's I mean, I think it's fascinating. I, and it seems to me like this might go all the way down like we, there there might be a fundamental problem in the American mind and that is that it thinks of people as individuals rather than as families. Do you do you think that's related to this that that there's so much talk about individual rights that we don't think of ourselves as bound up essentially to our families but rather Simply, it is it is myself, and maybe I bring people into my sphere, or they they, they uh, there's these kind of adjustable contracts called marriage or family or whatever. But it's really it's it's all about the me and and the the way the Bible would address us. I mean, there is a way that we are certainly individuals, but as we live in society, we live there as as chiefly as members of family. Do you think that that's getting at yeah, what you're talking I- about?
1: I think you're right, and I think that manifests itself in a different way. So I was talking about how the the husband is to be sacrificial for his wife and his family, but let's see how that individualism then manifests itself at the wife, that that what Paul says is that wives should be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. And so um, now we know how this gets this strung out in our culture, that, you know, Christians are the oppressive ones, they're chauvinistic, they don't think we should let wives think for themselves, and this kind of thing. Uh, but actually what we're seeing in what Paul's words here is that um, th- that the wives aren't putting themselves as slaves of the husbands, but that um, for which Christ uh, has wedded himself to us, the church, is a freedom, a, a liberation, a, 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 uh, a life from death. And so this Uh, wife who subjects herself to her husband is not making herself his slave, but that the Lord is attaching her to one who would live sacrificially for her, so that this is for her great uh, protection and for really her joy, that she would have one um, that she's been wedded to who is going to do everything and serve in every possible way, even if that means giving up his very own life for her sake. Now, in this, as you said, in this kind of cultural individualism, uh, you know, fin for myself mentality, that then teaches the woman to break free from the man and create my own identity for myself. And that then um, uh, affects the husband in a way that he no longer has the ability or or maybe at least the desire to be sacrificial for the, the wife who is, Wanting to fend for herself and be be her own person.
0: So, so you get to, you get two people trying to look out for their own, for their own what, for their own rights, for their own protection. There, there's a defensiveness rather than an openness to the other, even inside of marriage, where the Lord is trying to join the two into one flesh. He's trying to. If there's any place where those those Defensive borders should be dropped. That it's it's in the gift of marriage, but it can't happen if I think first as an individual.
1: Right. So then, so you have husband and wife together, and in, in uh, most circumstances, then that brings forth child. To which I am a newfound expert in this in this realm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, so our our daughter is six months old, and she has mastered the word mama, but she has not even broached the uh, attempt of the word dada. So at first I was thinking, okay, mom's the favorite. But then I realized, uh, middle of the night calls for mama are a specific parent that, that 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 our daughter wants to see at that moment. So I think it's it's working out so far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but so, we're not really one flesh. You know how it
0: is with my kids. That my kids will say mom, and I'll say what? <laughs> I just I just answer.
1: And they're like, no, no, I want to talk to mom. I said, I know. What do you need? What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> I can see how that would go. No, but, but here, okay, so look, you have husband and wife, then together as one flesh, and that brings forth a child or children. And uh, how does that then um, uh, play itself out in society? Well, now you don't have, I mean, if you think about it, the, the, the Lord could have, if he so desired, continued the procreation of the human race through more handfuls of dust. You know, just as so he created Adam out of the dust, he could have continued bringing forth human beings also from dust. But he didn't. He he, he brought about uh, human life through the procreative act um, and in the context of a family where a child would have a mom and a dad who would love and protect. So that uh, the the husband has that duty to die for his wife also extended then also to his children – and then that wife has um as a as a motherly instinct so to speak to to care and nurture for that child and there is no other entity in um in the world which that child will have such protection and nurturing love than than the mom and the dad now we have i think in our society some great faithful people who are foster parents and adoptive families those are all fantastic but the the, the, the mom and the dad that bring brings about that child um has a unique gift of God that the child will find in no government entity, in no schooling, no teacher, um it'll be only from mom and dad.
0: This is that old doctrine of subsidiarity that uh, probably comes from Catholic social ethics, but it's it's just it's right, and that is that the that the most sort of smallest Uh, organizational structure is the best or the thing that was instituted is the thing that's best so so for having children and for raising children the family is best and anything else is going to be a bad replacement
1: right and so I think then when we when we can put this against um, the 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 two category system of church and state we find that neither one really does what family can do um, now, certainly, the state has unique role um, to protect life, but in a coercive nature. And the church has a unique role to bestow the gift of forgiveness in God's Word and his sacraments. Um, but the, the teaching of the faith uh, does not really fall solely then on the church, but really on the family. So, I mean, Luther understood this in the writing of the catechism, as the head of the household should teach in a simple way to his children. Or to his household. So, so that, that the way that I learn the faith is not by dropping my kids off at church for confirmation classes. The way that someone learns the faith is by hearing the catechism taught from the head of the household
0: yeah that's right there's a so there's a way that you know one of the one of the marks of conservative political thought is the idea that the home is a castle which is right we we also want to say that the home is a chapel it's a place where god's word is taught and rejoiced in and his praises are sung as well and 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 to kind of point that you're making if we are just looking at the world and we see it in terms of church and state that's it's not enough we need to, we need to see the three great estates, the three great institutions that God has put in place as the church and the state and the family. And really, if things are good in the family, things are right in the teaching and the things, then things can fall apart in some ways in the church and the state. We're still going to be all right. I mean, we want things to be working well in all three, but we cannot, we cannot mistake the family uh, uh, in this way. And not the family as a political entity, but the family as the center of our earthly life. We're, hey. we're, Ah, We're running out of time, Pastor Pastor Glenn, we've got two minutes, so I want to make sure we get all the highlights here.
1: Yeah, sure. I I was just going to point out, now that we've kind of made the positive case for family, I think then, as we look around in our society and see the breakdown of the family, we'll see how all those um, uh, evils creep in. And I might say that maybe not all of them, but most of them come because of the selfishness of the individual where we started this conversation. So that where a person uh, rejects the notion of of a lifelong union and takes up the notion that um, the uh, act of intimacy can be enjoyed in any circumstance according to my pleasures, um, this then produces a family unit that is incomplete and unwhole, so that in my attempt to seek the pleasure that I want – uh, at times brings about a uh, a child, which is still a gift from God, but in a situation that is uh, less than ideal for that child, or in worse circumstances, we see in our society, that a child is brought about into this world, and it is not wanted because of selfishness, and it is um, finding itself then losing its life in the act of abortion. So a part of where many of these social ills comes from is a selfishness that is a A move away from the family rather than a sacrificial nature towards the family.
0: Pastor Gagline from Faith Lutheran Church at Rogue River, thanks so much for being my guest today on Cross the Fence.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: We are hopelessly selfish, bent in on ourselves, but we praise the Lord Jesus Christ, who, even though he had all the riches, all the heavenly inheritance, he became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. When husbands are trying to love their wives as Christ loved the church, we do it incomplete. But Jesus perfectly loves you, perfectly, and gave everything for you. God be praised for that. Hey, thanks for listening to Cross Defense. Make sure to tune in every week, same place, same time. Talk to you soon. God's peace be with you.
1: Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to this edition of Cross Defense. If you're not subscribed, make sure to whatever you're listening to, subscribe to the show, get it every week. And if you want more theology between shows, you can find it on wolfmuller.co. It's my website. it's got Cross Defense on it, some YouTube stuff, some articles I wrote, and other uh, various things to check out. Wolf Mueller, it's dot C O. Drop me a note while you're there. Let me know what you think, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense.